You're listening to Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. From childhood favorites to classics, to new and forthcoming reads, you'll hear how the people who make books happen have been influenced by the ones they've read. Today is a special extended episode. Alexis Hall chose Small Gods by Terry Pratchett, and sister writing team Maika and Maritza Mulit joined us to recommend The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo and Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. An editorial note. Alexis Hall has one of the most entertaining bios I've had the pleasure to read out loud. Here it is in all its glory. Alexis Hall is a pile of threadbare hats and used teacups given a semblance of life by forbidden sorcery. He has a degree in very hard sums from a university that should, by all rights, be fictional. If that doesn't give you a sense for him in his writing, I personally don't know what will. To be more specific, he writes queer romance, science fiction, and fantasy. His work has been nominated multiple times for the Lambda Literary Awards. His latest book, The Affair of the Mysterious Letter, is a charming, witty, and weird fantasy novel in which he pays homage to Sherlock Holmes with a new twist on those renowned characters. My name is Alexis Hall, and Small Gods by Terry Pratchett is my recommended. Small Gods is... I tend to think of it as a mid-Discworld book. It's kind of post-Rincewind, pre-Industrial Revolution is, is the word. And it tells the story of Brother the Novice, who encounters a tortoise that is actually his god, the great god Om. And it's about how in this very theocratic society where he lives, people have stopped believing in their god and started believing in the social infrastructure that surrounds that god. And is it's Terry Pratchett doing a take on organised religion. Is well, it is. I discovered the Discworld books through, I think it was through a friend of the family when I was very young, sort of, you know, kind of early secondary school young. It came up because it was in order. I remember quite strongly that I happened to have got to Small Gods around about the time where I, th- I think we were going on a family holiday. So I had about a six hour car journey ahead of me. So I got into the car with small gods and we got out the car at the other end and I had finished small gods. One of the things I'll say is the because I picked this as an icon of the whole desk world oeuvre, I've not actually read it in a really long time. So to me it's always been about the sense of the book and the feeling of the book. I am I have really strong flashes from small gods that I remember very intensely. The scene that most stands out to me is the bit at the very, very end of the book. There's a um, there's a motif um, throughout the book where the god arm is talking to Brother the Novice later, Brother the Prophet, about various things. And the, and the god will repeatedly say, you know, in a hundred years' time, we'll all be dead. And the book ends with this time skip, and then it's a hundred years later. And Brother the Novice is now sort of the religious leader of his whole society. And someone tells him it's been 100 years since he walked walked in the desert. There's a whole thing in Omnium religion where when you die, you have to walk across a great desert. He finds the Vorbis is there in the desert and has been waiting for 100 years. Sorry, I don't know why I'm tearing up talking about a Terry Pratchett book that I haven't thought about in a decade. Because death is in every Terry Pratchett book, which is incredibly moving. 
really tie it into the, to me, still really recent feeling, Death of Terry Fratcher, um, which is kind of the only celebrity death I've ever had a strong emotional reaction to. Brother the novice, brother the prophet, says to Death, has he been standing here this whole time? Death says, in a way, time is different here, it's more personal. And Brother says, you mean a hundred years can pass like a few seconds? And Death replies, a hundred years can pass like eternity. I just remember that blowing my mind at the time I read it. So I think um, something I was very conscious about coming on this podcast and talking about a Terry Pratchett book is that there's an extent to which me recommending Terry Pratchett feels to me very strongly like like a guy who sells hamburgers in front of a train station recommending Le Manoir. I am not Terry Pratchett. I find a conversation that has me and Terry Pratchett in it to be a weird thing. and. So to me, this is very much about my experience of reading this book at the time I read it. I would have been, what, 14, I think, when this... I, was, I, think, I, was young. I think this is one of the books I read after it came out. Um, I think I was about 14 when I read it. And just that notion of a length of time that I think of as very long, being able to feel like a thing that is bigger than that was weirdly mind-blowing for me. I don't know what it's like in America, but I think particularly if you're British and a nerd, there's just something so iconic about it. It's almost it's almost like you can't think about it rationally. It's like, it, it's like you can't really think about whether Elvis was a good musician because he's Elvis. And then if you're British and into nerddom, you can't, you can't rationally think about Discworld because it's... Like it's particularly the at the age I was reading it at. It's it's how people who are young nerdy and often don't fit in identify other people who are young nerdy and often don't fit in. Someone else being into Terry Pratchett or being into Discworld was it, it was a, it was it was a shibboleth almost. I don't mean that in an exclusionary way, but it's kind of discovering someone else that was into Pratchett was a weird sense of belonging. Um, again, it's why I've been quite so embarrassingly and unbritishly emotional about this, because there's something really profound for me about that series, almost beyond any of its content. I love Terry Pratchett. There comes a point where, like anything else that's a really big and formative part of your life, your relation to it evolves in complicated ways as you go. And it's a, in some ways I feel strange talking like this about a series of books about wizards and dragons and and you know, fantasy gods, but because it's so much part of who I am and so much part of how I think, even, even how I talk, I, I catch myself using phrases in my day-to-day life that I know come from Discworld books. I think I have used the phrase, I haven't read a Terry Pratchett book in at least a decade, but I have used the phrase, things that try to look like things often do look more like things than things, in the last week. Saying Terry Pratchett has shaped my writing feels presumptuous to me because suggesting that anything I have written is comparable to anything Terry Pratchett has written feels like borderline heresy where I come from. These books have shaped how I think and how I express myself on a level so fundamental it can't not make its way into my writing. The Fair Than Mysterious Letter is it's set in a cosmopolitan fantasy city with a double-barreled ma- name divided into two halves with a gigantic waterway down the middle. Denying the Pratchett influence on that would be, I suppose it's absurd as denying the London influence, which is, of course, a big part of what 
the whole shape and structure of Angmorpod comes from in the first place. To me, the Pratchettian influence that I'm most comfortable admitting to, that I feel least hubristic admitting to, as it were, is the way it's affected just just the way I talk and communicate and express myself. I'm always very hesitant about recommending books to people, partly just because of um because I like to have an awareness of of context and things. If you told me that you had never read a Discord book, first of all, particularly if you'd read my books, particularly my fantasy books, I wouldn't believe you. I would absolutely recommend them. I would always bracket that by saying be aware they're written in the 80s and 90s there are again because of the the type of fiction i write the type of circles i move it in writing i'm always very very conscious that some people are way more sensitive to some things than others i'd always say i think these are amazing books i think they've got a a wit and a charm to them that is genuinely unique i'd also say they're of their time to some extent. That was Alexis Hall recommending Small Gods by Terry Pratchett. His novel, The Affair of the Mysterious Letter, published by Ace, is available wherever books are sold. You can follow him on Twitter at Vault. That is Q-U-I-C-U-N-Q-U-E-V-U-L-T. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must-read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at leebardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo, for sponsoring this episode. Maika Mulit and Maritza Mulit are self-professed bookworms who have been devouring YA for years. 
They grew up in Miami with two younger sisters, a large extended family, and a love for reading and their own Haitian culture. The character Elaine in their debut YA novel, Dear Haiti, Love Elaine, is the heroine they were waiting for as teens, and their goal is to make Haitian culture and history more accessible through a fun, fast-paced, but also introspective storyline that anyone can relate to. Hi, my name is Maiku Mulit, and The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo is my recommended. Hi, I'm Maritz Mulit, and Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Symbol is my recommended. So I guess I'll go first. The Poet X is about a 15-year-old girl named Xiomara Batista who lives in Harlem, in New York, of course. And she is a twin and her family is very devout um, with their Catholic faith. And as Xiomara is getting older, she's becoming that age where she starts to form her own opinions about the world. And she's really questioning things about her faith, how women are treated in general, just a lot of different things about things that you consider once you're getting older. And she's starting to get the attention of boys her age and leery men who are way too old. So she's very soft-spoken and she tries to consider the things that she says whenever she speaks, but she ends up finding her voice through slam poetry. And the poet X takes us on this journey as she tries to discover her place in the world. And it's such a touching story and I'm obsessed with it. So where to go, Bernadette? is an epistolary novel about Bernadette Ducks, a reclusive architect who has found herself in a career and life rut. She basically hates everything and everyone except her daughter, B, and sometimes her husband, Elgin. And it takes place in Seattle, and it's so funny. I haven't read the poem X, although I want to read it this month, actually. It's on my to-be-read. But um, yeah, I'm always talking about where'd you go, Bernadette, to Mika, and she's like, okay. I basically know the whole story from her. <laughs> <laughs> I came across the Poet X because... Uh, it was actually by accident. So I was looking for where Tomi Adeyemi was going to be on tour. And she was going to be in Coral Gables, um, which is in Miami, and um, at Books and Books, which is our local indie store. When I went there, I saw that she was going to be in conversation with Elizabeth Acevedo. And I hadn't heard of Elizabeth Acevedo at the time. But once they were there, they were talking and just having a, a really good time. And Elizabeth started to read one of her poems. And she was like, Pero tú no eres fácil. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in love. <laughs> so I'm actually not sure when I first heard about Where'd You Go, Bernadette. I know the book came out in 2012 and I didn't get it when it was immediately released. But I think I was reading an online article that was talking about um, a trend in book covers with illustrated women on the cover with sunglasses or something like that. And I read a summary about Where'd You Go, Bernadette. And I thought, oh, this looks fun. And then I read the book from there and I absolutely fell in love with it. Like, I think I read the book probably at least three times because it's just so funny to me. So when Maika and I sat down to write what ultimately became Dear Haiti, Love Elaine, I just threw it out there casually and was like, hey, what if we write a book like, where'd you go, Bernadette? And a pillar with lots of different formats and, and ways to tell the story. And she was reticent at first, but I just, I guess I really sold my case and we were able to do it, but it definitely influenced what we did with Dear Haiti Love Elaine, because 
what I really loved about Where'd You Go, Bernadette was that foundation of a mother-daughter relationship and how everything else could be going terribly in your life, in the world, but you have this really strong relationship with your mother. And even in uh, in the case of Dear Haiti, Love Elaine, our character doesn't have a very solid foundation um, to rest on with her mother. She is trying to get there. But the fact that Where'd You Go, Bernadette has the emails to her assistant and the letters and there's an FBI dossier in there and a TED Talk transcript. Like, those are so funny. And um, even the different ways that they throw in little jokes in a moment that's supposed to be serious. We tried to do that with our book as well. I remember laughing so loudly. I don't even remember where I was when I had first read how um, the FBI reached out to Bernadette's husband, Elgin. And was like, yeah, she's talking to these Russian uh, identity thieves. And then all the way at the end, by the way, we love your TED Talk. We'd love to hear updates on your project. Like, that's so insane. (laughs) Yeah, so it definitely influenced what we wanted to do with our story. The Poet X was, when I finished Read It for the first time, um, our family was vacationing in Haiti. And that was actually my first time going back to that part of Haiti where my family's from since I was like six. So I finished Read It and just kind of teared up because it very much was a book that I wish that I had when I was 15 years old. Like I resonated with Siomara so much. I used to write poetry when I was younger. It was not as good as Siomara's, but I very much loved writing and it was just my way of uh, of escape. And the fact that I was able to find a character that I resonated with so much, it really made it more impactful to me. And I it made me really want to write something that somebody else would be able to relate to. So when we started to write, when Mertz and I started to write Dear Haiti, Love Elaine, we wanted it to be a universal story that everyone could relate to. But we think that there is also a universality in the specificity. Like even though we're talking about something that is very specific to Haitian culture, you can still amplify that out to yourself because you can everybody wants that sense of belonging, you know, like you want to make sure that you have your place in this world and that you know exactly where you fit in. And um, for our character, Elaine, she's very much struggling with that duality of being Haitian and American. And Siomara is struggling with what it means to be, you know, to have been raised up in the faith and also to becoming of age and having hormones and feelings and emotions and getting a voice. So, Uh, It very much impacted that. And just I wanted us to be able to create something that would stay with people long after they've read it. And uh, yeah, the Poet X really, even to this day, I love this book. I'm recommending it to everyone. I'm giving, letting people borrow my signed copy. And I'm like, if you lose this, I will break your hands. (laughs) So we are YA authors. So we read a lot of YA. Growing up, I mean, those, I mean, I think the stories that really stuck with me the longest. And even if I don't remember them by name, I know they really shaped the way that I think about stories and how I know they can make you feel were those initial middle grade stories that I would read as a kid. So I like always remember the Anastasia Krupniks and the Alice McKinley's and the obviously Hermione's and Tippi Longstockings. And I, I really love those girls growing up because I felt like I could relate to them. Even if I wasn't necessarily as talkative as them or expressive, I still felt like I knew where they were coming from. Yeah. So like Marissa said, growing up, we read a ton of books. I I can't, 
so as a child, I read anything and everything I could get my hands on. As long as there was a girl on the cover, like that was what I read. But there were certain things that would stick out. And I remember listening to, it was actually another podcast and it was a woman of color speaking. And she said how she would read all of these books and she loved them. And then they would say something like, and then she blushed. And then she'd be like, oh, you can't see blushing on my skin. <laughs> So it would kind of pull you out of the story because, you know, when you're reading, you tend to put yourself in the place of the protagonist as you're reading, unless the person is very disagreeable and you're like, I'm just watching to see what happens to you. <laughs> and it, it didn't really deter what books I read. Like I read everything. I It didn't matter who was on the cover. It just, but when I, there were definitely times when I found someone who resonated or who looked like I did, it would stick out a little bit. And it's funny because there was one book that Maritza and I and all of our sisters read when we were younger. It was called Ola Shakes It Up. And if you asked us about this when we were younger, we would tell you like, this story is about a Haitian American girl and all of these other things, blah, blah, blah. But then we like <laughs> looked it up in adulthood because we were trying to see like, oh, what are some books that feature other Haitian protagonists? And the book is not about her. <laughs> she's like a minor character and, um, or she's like an exchange student, I believe it is. And she ends up staying with the family for a little bit. And we made the entire story about her because we were so thirsty for uh, someone who looked like us. And as we got older, I realized that there wasn't a lot of diversity in the types of stories that were available to me growing up. And there were books with like black protagonists and stuff, but a lot of times they were very heavy in subject matter. And obviously those stories definitely deserve to be told and should continue to have a place in what is being published, but I wanted those types of stories as well, more of them, about a black girl or a brown girl or whoever who was just kind of going through life and funny things would happen to them. And that's something that we wanted to do with Dear Haiti Love Elaine. Like, there are serious topics being discussed in our story, but it's also just kind of like a zany adventure about this girl who goes to Haiti for the first time and figures out lots of things about her family that she never knew about, which is what happens in Where'd You Go, Bernadette, like ending up in Antarctica. That is so crazy to me. So I recommend Where'd You Go, Bernadette to everyone. But I remember this one time in grad school, I had to interview this. I went to grad school for journalism. And for a story, I had to interview this architect. And when I met her in person, she was giving me so many Bernadette vibes, like just looking at her. Like I, I was like, Oh my God, this is her in real life. And I don't even know how we got two books or maybe we weren't talking about books. And I just awkwardly mentioned it because I really wanted to say it. And I was like, Oh, have you heard Where'd You Go, Bernadette? And she was like, no, I've never heard of it. And I was all like, Oh, well, it's about this um, architect who's kind of a misanthrope, but it's so good. It's, she's so funny, and, like, I love it, and I can't, it kind of reminds me of you, which is, like, a rude thing to say after you <laughs> have just said that this character hates everyone. <laughs> and then she looked at me like she hated me, <laughs> and she was like, um, no, I, I haven't heard it. <laughs> I've heard of it, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, check it out. <laughs> But I love this book and I want to share it with everyone because I think it does a great job of either you're a fan of stories like this because you totally get where they're coming from with the really wacky liberal school with the no grades and the Blackberry abatement specialists and all of that. Or it's completely new and you're reading this as an anthropologist diary or something. And I think that it works for everyone. 
So the Poet X, I actually did a review of it on our blog and on our YouTube page. So I clearly recommend it to any and everyone who can read. And even if you can't read, you can learn to read while reading this book. (laughs) But I would say I recommend this book for anyone who has like craved uh, something different or wanting to see themselves in a book. I recommend it to anyone who maybe is a reluctant reader because it's told in, um, you know, it's, it's written in poems. So you're able to quickly devour the book. It's a quick read, but it still will stay with you. So if you have someone who's like, oh, I don't know if I want to read, you should give them the Poet X and say, just try it. I think that will be like a really great book for uh, even a reluctant reader. And I think that this book will be perfect for any occasion, if you're on vacation, if you want to feel happy, if you want to cry a little bit, if you need something to read while you're eating, like, (laughs) which I read a lot when I'm eating. (laughs) Well, but yeah, I think The Poet X is really just an an amazing, amazing book. I most recently um, lent out my signed copy, which um, (laughs) to my, one of my closest friends, and she was going on vacation uh, to Greece, actually. And I was like, oh girl, you totally need to read this. Like, it's going to be so good. She was like, Maika, I read it in one day, in like, not even a day, like in an hour. (laughs) And I was like, perfect. Now give it back. (laughs) So yeah, we, I recommend The Poet X to anyone and everyone far and wide. That was Maika Mulit recommending The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo and Maritza Mulit recommending Where'd You Go Bernadette by Maria Semple. Their novel, Dear Haiti, Love Elaine, published by Inkyard Press, is now available wherever books are sold. You can find out more about them at maikaandmaritza.com. That's M-A-I-K-A-A-N-D-M-A-R-I-T-Z-A dot com. Many thanks to Alexis Hall, Maika Mulit, and Maritza Mulit for joining us and sharing some favorite reads. Thanks also go out to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. If you like what you're hearing, please drop by on Apple Podcasts to leave us a rating or a review. We're always happy to see the feedback, and reviews help other bookish listeners to find this show. You can find show notes, including titles mentioned, at bookriot.com recommended, and you can email us feedback, personal favorites, and suggestions at recommended at bookriot.com. <laughs>